0: Locks upon locks. That's part of the discussion this week on Legendary Adventures Podcast. So far in A Link to the Past, we've managed to rescue five of the seven captured maidens. Our map has been helpful in locating them. We were also able to reach each dungeon without too much trouble. That changes with the Sixth Dungeon. The map shows that it's located in the Swamp of Evil. You'll recall in an earlier episode I mentioned a sign near the swamp that warns there's no way in or out, and that appears to be true from the Dark World. In the past, however, we've been able to get around these Dark World blocks by entering from the Light World. Here's the thing. There's no location within the Desert of Mystery, the Light World equivalent of the Swamp of Evil, that Link can reach, which allows him to access a Dark World portal. Link needs a new way of travel. That brings us to one of the most famous quests in the game, involving the Flute Boy and his musical mystery. Many people refer to this as a side quest, but it is in fact required to complete the game. To the southeast of Kakariko Village, there lies a mysterious grove of trees. Music can be heard coming from inside. A boy clad in green can be seen sitting on a tree step playing a lively tune on an ocarina. A group of forest creatures surround him, transfixed by the tune. But try to draw close, and the animals will scatter, and the boy will disappear. In Kakariko Village, there is an old man dozing in the southern portion of the bar. When Link speaks to him, he mentions that his son really liked to play the flute but his son went looking for the golden power and never returned. The man wonders where he is now. Traveling to the Dark World, Link will find a creature with a long nose in the equivalent location of the flute-playing apparition. This creature explains that he was transformed to that shape after entering from the Light World. He confirms that he is indeed the missing flute boy. He says he buried his flute with some flower seeds in the Light World before leaving. He gives Link a shovel and requests the flute be recovered for him. Using the mirror, Link travels to the light world and finds the flute in the northwestern corner of the grove. Back in the dark world, the flute boy discovers he cannot play in his current shape. He asks Link to play for him. As he listens to the tune, the boy tells Link that his mind is going. He transforms into a tree as Link plays, effectively dying. Just before the transformation, the flute boy asked Link to give the flute to his father in Kakariko. Yeah. Traveling back to the light world and entering the bar, the boy's father perks up upon hearing the flute music. He asks Link how his son is and quickly realizes that he met a sad fate. The father asks Link to keep the flute and to play it for the bird in the village square. He's referring to the weathercock. Playing the flute by the weathercock causes it to break, revealing a small white bird. This unlocks the game's secondary fast travel system. Playing the flute in the light world allows Link to travel between eight fast travel locations on the map. The sixth location drops Link into an otherwise unreachable ledge in the Desert of Mystery. A portal to the dark world is found under a dark-colored stone on that ledge. Players cannot enter the Swamp of Evil without both the flute and the Titan's Mitt. It is hard locked. Once in the swamp, however, players attempting to access Misery Mire will run into a second hard lock preventing them from entering. The entrance to the dungeon is closed, with the symbol of a magic medallion visible. We have not collected this medallion yet in this playthrough. The medallion is found atop Death Mountain in the Light World just west of the Tower of Hera. Players use the Book of Medora to translate a tablet and receive the Aether Medallion. The Aether Medallion can be collected at any point after players acquire the Master Sword, but it's not required until this point in the game. The Aether Medallion is another screen-clearing attack. It sends out a wave of cold air in all directions. Many enemies will die upon being hit. Particularly tough enemies will freeze. The medallion can also be used to briefly reveal invisible paths. Before heading into the dungeon, I want to talk about a couple of side quests I knocked out during this portion of the game as well. Before heading to Death Mountain, I collected the magic cape. This is an optional item that turns Link invisible and allows him to bypass some obstacles. That includes bumpers and spiked floors. The item is technically optional, but it will come in handy later in the game. The cape is located in the Light World graveyard. A gravestone in the northeastern corner has two dark colored stones blocking it. Accessing it directly from the Light World requires the Titan's Mitt. Players can access it prior to getting the Titan's Mitt by traveling to the graveyard in the Dark World and then cutting through a bush to enter the equivalent spot, then using the mirror to travel back to the light world. A dash with the Pegasus boots will push open the grave, revealing a cave with the cape inside for the taking. On top of Death Mountain, after taking the portal to the Dark World near Spectacle Rock, Link can jump to a lower ledge. Inside a cave, Link will find the cane of Berna. This is another optional item that creates sort of a force field around Link when used. To access the cane, players will need the hammer and the Titan's mitt you will also need to walk across a large spiked floor. The cape comes in handy here, as will a potion that can restore your magic. Now on to Misery Mire. It's raining within the Swamp of Evil. A Dark World resident in a cave within the swamp tells us that the rain is caused by monsters. It will stop if the wind is properly stirred up. As mentioned earlier, the Aether Medallion symbol is visible at the entrance of the dungeon. Using the Aether spell will send a cold wind blast that will stop the rain. The dungeon's entrance then rises up out of the swamp, allowing Link to enter. So we've already passed three hard locks to get to the dungeon. First getting the flute and the fast travel ability, then using the Titan's mint to reveal a portal, then getting the ether medallion to open the entrance. Would you believe it if I told you there's a fourth lock on this dungeon? Well there is. In the very first room of the dungeon, there's a large hole directly in the player's path. I believed this to be a hard lock that required the hookshot to enter. But after browsing a forum thread on zeldadungeon.net, I learned that players were able to use the Pegasus boots to ram a block and bounce over the hole. This technique is also required to reach a room in Ganon's tower. It took me multiple tries to maneuver Link just right to bounce across the hole. I fell into the hole many times, I found myself too close to the block to dash multiple times, but I was able to eventually position myself just right to bounce across the hole. So yes, this is a soft lock and players can tackle Misery Mire before taking on the Swamp Palace. Misery Mire spans only three floors. After the eight-floor behemoth that was the Ice Palace, it seems like that three-floor dungeon should be simple. But I found it much more confusing than the Ice Palace, at least at first. The second floor is a sprawling collection of rooms of various sizes. This dungeon is a true labyrinth with criss-crossing paths that span multiple levels. I got lost for a good while longer than I did in the Ice Palace because it seemed every room I entered had multiple exits, and each room I passed through revealed just more rooms. However, it does eventually start to make sense. The dungeon doesn't have a particularly strong mechanical or gameplay theme to it, visually it is distinct. Misery Mire is made of green stone and some walls are marked with a green slime. It also features unique wooden bridges and a room with a latticework floor over a dark void that isn't seen in other dungeons. Echoing the first game, the sixth dungeon introduces the Wizrobe enemies. We first see them in the second room. The following room serves as the central room of the dungeon. A lower level features a maze of pathways. Two open doors on the right lead to a room with the big chest. Players can only reach the chest by dashing over a bridge that collapses under their feet. However, we don't have the big key, so we head back out to that central room and we go to the lower level and work our way north. The next room has three exits. I first went through the north exit and I found a key at the end of the path. It was then to the east. A chest with a map is in a room to the south, but a crystal switch is needed to drop blue blocks obstructing the path. This switch is found by heading north until the path forces players west. The switch is in the northwestern corner of a large room split in half by a blue block obstruction. After dropping the blocks I went south. A spiked floor blocks the way, but the cape allows us to pass with no issues. Alternatively, players can backtrack to get around this room or simply take the damage. We can duck back into the central room to get a key before heading through a door to the southwest. Continuing west will reach a room with torches in each corner. Tiles on the floor rise up to attack the player. To the south we'll find a staircase leading to the ground level floor. This section is really the biggest standout of the dungeon. There are three rooms. The first two rooms are mirror images of each other. Torches are located behind obstacles. The third room is very narrow. A hint tile reveals all four torches must be lit to open the path forward. In the first room, blocks can be moved to access the torches. In the second room, the fire rod can be used to light the torches from afar. Once all the torches are lit at once, the room shakes. Once the shaking stops, we find the third room has grown significantly. A hole is visible in the southeast corner. It's black, which usually indicates this is not a hole to fall into, but it's the only hole in the room and the hint tile said this is the way forward. Dropping down the hole we find the chest with the big key. Then it's back to the big chest room to race across the collapsing bridge and open it to get the item. It's the cane of Samaria. The text tells us that the cane will be helpful if we make proper use of it. What a mysterious cane! In actuality the cane makes blocks. We can use it to hold down switches. Blocks can then be struck with the cane to turn them into an attack. We'll find another use for the cane in the next dungeon as well. After getting the cane, it's time to head north, then to the lower level to pass through a big key door to reach the lowest level of the dungeon. In a dark room, the cane is needed to keep a switch pressed. A large room to the west has a crystal switch that needs to be hit from a distance and then we head west again. A second crystal switch is hidden behind a cracked wall in order to continue west and then back up to basement floor one. From there it's just a short walk to the boss room. The boss of this dungeon is called Vitreus. It's a giant eye sitting in a pool of slime, with smaller softball sized eyes around it. The small eyes fly towards Link and must be destroyed. The large eye shoots lightning down the center of the screen. When all small eyes have been destroyed, the giant eye begins bouncing towards Link in an attempt to hit him. It takes several hits to defeat it, but once Vitreus falls, Link is awarded with a heart container and the sixth maiden is free. The Maiden explains that Ganon is unable to return to the Lightworld on his own, which is why he used Aghanim to kidnap the Maidens. She tells us Princess Zelda is waiting in the seventh Dark World dungeon, Turtle Rock. We'll head there next week. If you want to follow along, please subscribe. Please also consider sharing this podcast with another Zelda fan. I am Paul Riley. thanks for listening, see you next week.